This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. I said... Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here on Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show on the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey. Well, today we're going to talk about not the original series, which is, is kind of strange. We're going to talk about the next generation. Well, it's not the next generation. It would have been the next show, um, uh, which they... We're going to call either Star Trek Two, which would have been very confusing, yes, or Star Trek Phase Two, which is less confusing, but also not very good. Well, it's okay. I'm I'm okay with it. I don't know. It's weird the the having a phase, you know, like ten years later. Why? I mean, why not? You know, I I don't know. Phases it's... occur at different times. I guess. I guess. You know, when I think about it, the next generation is a perfect title for the next generation. Well, yeah, but yeah. phase two just seems kind of tame by comparison. Maybe it's in numbers. I don't know. I don't know. I like phase two better than next generation. Next generation seems kind of soft to me. I always thought that was like the worst of the titles, like Star Trek, the next generation. Like, yeah, I never movie. really, I yeah. never really liked it either. But only recently I've been like, okay, I understand what they're. Because they had to sell it as that. Yeah, it's very descriptive. It's a good marketing tool, but like Star Trek, the next generation, or Star Trek, Voyager. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they could have called this like the new, the all-new Star Trek, or the real Star Trek. Yeah, they could have done that. Either one (laughs) of those would have been okay. Or Star Trek Enterprise, or... They should have called Star Trek the next generation Star Trek Babies. (laughs) <laughs> right like muppet babies yes yeah but that would be the jj verse oh yeah I star guess trek that would babies be. yeah yeah all right well for those who don't know star trek phase two was the abandoned concept that uh eventually turned into star trek the motion picture uh, in 1977 or so, Paramount Pictures decided that they needed to launch another network. And this is before Fox, right? So this is this would have been the fourth network. Yeah, this was the proto-UPN, I guess. But uh, it would have been the fourth network because Fox didn't exist yet. Right. So... Uh, this is going to be a big, bold outcoming. You know, finally, somebody to take on ABC, CBS, and NBC... And it was going to be Paramount all by itself. And they were going to have, as they should have, Star Trek leading the way. And they got everybody but Leonard Nimoy back. I, I'm i not sure. Apparently Nimoy didn't get involved. We'll get to Nimoy. Okay. So they were going to be, it was going to be all new sets, an all new Enterprise model. Uh, they They were going to do a feature length pilot, which eventually got modified into the motion picture. But it's not that motion picture was the pilot. You know, sometimes like they released the Battlestar Galactica original pilot 
as a movie in Europe. This wasn't the case. They they scrapped it and and rebuilt the whole thing from scratch. So it's not like the motion picture is some, you know, pilot for a series that didn't get picked up, like you know, Assignment Earth or anything like that. No, they adapted it into a movie instead of cutting it into a movie. But they they ended up keeping some of the characters that they were going to add, and bringing Spock back in, which replaced another character that they were going to add. It, it's it's an interesting story. I finally saw that there was a book, which I feel bad for not reading before we did this episode. But but a book all about Phase Two with with the original script for In Thy Image and uh, the Child, which eventually became a Next Generation episode when the writer strike deemed that they ran out of scripts. <laughs> yeah, I remember when that book came out. Um, I, I never had it, but uh, it was written by the Reeves Stevenses, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And uh, I imagine it's pretty interesting. But they ended up like building a lot of the sets and stuff and using them for for motion pictures. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, you, you, and there's some stuff that they changed, but you can still see that sort of like legacy stuff underneath it at times. Like there's moments in motion picture and Wrath of Khan where you can see pieces of the set and you can kind of get a glimpse of what that original design for phase two was going to look like, which is pretty cool. Like what? Like, um, the, I, I think probably the, where it's clearest is in Kirk's quarters. Like when he's talking to in, in, I know, in, I think it's in uh motion picture when he's, uh, talking to, to bones and, and he's like, will you please sit down? You know, that, that, that mm-hmm. scene with, with Spock and everything. But um, the, where I always remember seeing it is in uh, Wrath of Khan when he's talking to Carol Marcus and he's like, who's taking Genesis away from you? And you can see the console. There's a lot of, they almost look sort of like crystallized, like almost like isolinear chip type of things with like weird, very kind of 70s sort of um, Superman the movie Krypton styled uh, design, it's it's weird. I mean, it definitely, especially in Wrath of Khan, it totally stands out, you know. And hmm. uh, uh, but but yeah, you can you can definitely see it in a couple of those movies, and it's kind of interesting just to see like they would have had the whole thing look like that. Well, I'm kind <laughs> of glad they changed it a little bit for these movies. Yeah, that's thank weird. God. I mean, they came up with the idea of the fourth network after Star Wars came out, but eventually they decided, you know, once Star Wars had been in theaters for a year, they were like, we should probably try to tie into this. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, just one one other little thing with that. Uh, um, <laughs> the other thing about that uh, set design and stuff, when you look at it, it's very, you know, and, and you can see this in the, in the artwork as well and everything, it's very sort of... Um, well, reminiscent of actually the the JJ sets in that there's a lot of uh, white, a lot of like pastels and stuff like that, and it's it's an aesthetic which seems to lend itself to like the style of the the costumes and everything from the motion picture, but then you look at the costumes and stuff that they were going to use for Phase Two, and they were very similar to the original series. Right, they and, were just going to use the bright colors on the white set which is very jj though right but with jj i don't know and maybe they would have altered it a little bit but they're like his costumes are modified like ever so slightly to kind of like 
blend with that set. Whereas mm-hmm. like these, it just seems like they would have clashed like that mustard with the pastels. I don't see how that would have, it would have looked really weird. I don't know. Yeah. I I imagine that eventually they would have moved away from that. Like before they actually went to production. Yeah. Said like, you know, we're not trying to sell color TV anymore. It's 1977. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, try to push another boundary. Like, uh, showing your junk off. <laughs> yes. So, uh, the characters. We were going to get... Uh, a lot of people had signed on for this, and, and some people hadn't. Uh, they were going to get Shatner to come back, which which would have been great. That they would have replaced Spock. For some reason, they decided that they were only going to have Leonard Nimoy do a cameo in a couple episodes. And he said, no, that's silly. So they just replaced him flat out. Well, I'm guessing that he probably wasn't too uh, fond about returning to Star Trek at that point in time. It seems like this was uh, a a point in his career at which he was trying to do something different, and he was being pigeonholed as Spock. So I, I can kind of understand why he decided not to, you know, return. Yeah, but but, but now look at him. Well, yeah. Well, now, now you know, he's come around, and now he's older, and he's also had, I think, the movies, you know, as part of his experience, and he's like, you know what? Star Trek is a big part of me, you know? We're, we're talking about the Nimoy that wrote I Am Not Spock, not right. the Nimoy who had written I Am Spock. This is true. Yeah. So they were going to replace Spock, not as first officer, that was somebody else, but they were going to replace him as science officer with this 22-year-old Vulcan, full-blooded Vulcan named Zahn. Yeah. Everybody was going to... It was going to be like starting over again. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, all the... Not that there was much character development with Spock up up through the original series, but to start over again with, like, okay, here's the other dynamic. It's kind of like what we covered uh, when they were going to replace Nimoy in Season 2 with somebody. Could... Would we accept things like a muck time if it was random Vulcan? Well, here it is again, you know, 10 years later, maybe we need random Vulcan again. I think the difference this time around is that it's not like they were doing a find and replace with Spock's uh, name on the, uh, the, the, the scripts that were written for season two. You mm-hmm. know, this time through, they were like, okay, yes, we need a Vulcan character because a Vulcan character is sort of like the signature of Star Trek. It's the same thing which, uh, you know, I mean, I I was just talking about this on the 602 Club a couple weeks ago or whatever, but they always feel the need to stick a freaking Jedi or a lightsaber into Star Wars, no matter what it is. And it's like, as, as much as I think that that's stupid... It's also iconic, and you know we will probably never have a Star Wars anything that doesn't have a lightsaber in it somewhere, which mm-hmm. is disappointing. And you know, especially since this is only the second thing that they had done after the original series, you needed to have that Vulcan because that was what said Star Trek to so many people. 
I but, wonder if that helped inspire Roddenberry saying, we're just going to ignore Vulcans through most of TNG. Yeah, it could have. You know, I think with TNG, he was trying to make like a, a pretty um, clean break between uh, the original series and, and the next generation. And he really wanted the next generation to stand on its own as its own thing. And because of that, he was like, no Klingon. I mean, originally, weren't they going to have like no villains from the original series at all? Right. Yeah. So, you know, but but here I think the philosophy was more along the lines of like we need all of this iconography in in this thing. Mm. And so we're going to have a Vulcan, but it is going to be a different Vulcan. It's going to be a different dynamic. He's not going to be the first officer. He's not going to be half human. And because of that, it'll be a different character. It really will be. And and what's good is that also uh Memory Alpha has quotes from the story Bible mm-hmm. for Phase 2, which is interesting to read the ones and the characters we already know, because, like, <laughs> how does that differ from the original descriptions? Um, but it, it they do point out that he's worried, as worried as a full-blooded Vulcan can be, of being compared to Spock. And people are comparing him to Spock, whether or not they're, they're saying it. Mm-hmm. So it was actually going to be like a plot point yeah. At points is that you're not Spock. You suck. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Which I imagine would be saying what the uh, what the actual uh, audience would have been thinking at the time. Yeah, because yeah. that, that's always good to have have your characters like even Kirk have your back. Like you're not Spock. Go away. <laughs> yeah, but it could backfire on you in that you know everyone will agree with Kirk. Yeah, you're right. He should go away, and nobody likes him, and then you have to get rid of him. And Yep. Who's going to fill his place? Well, they actually were planning on... Uh, I don't know. Decker may have been a backup for that, because he is the first officer, so we don't have to worry about uh, Zahn in command. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that was, you know, kind of a, uh, a very intentional thing that they did, was say, like, we're not we're getting rid of Spock... You know, so we need a Vulcan, but we also need a first officer. But let's not make that the same person. You know, let's make someone else the first officer. And let's, you know, since, I mean, we see this in, you know, motion picture, since Kirk is getting older and he's not, you know, the swashbuckler 30-something-year-old that we all knew and loved in the original series, let's get a younger guy in there. And, and, uh, have Kirk deal with that. That's going to create a lot of tension because now Kirk is being threatened, I'm assuming, by Mm -hmm. his first officer, who he sees as sort of like a reflection of his uh, younger self. That makes sense. I mean, kind of like what we do get in motion picture between Decker and Kirk. Yeah. Uh, Kirk does seem jealous of Decker and his youth and exuberance and knowing the ship better than Kirk, you know, really threatens him. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they would have gone... Uh, the same direction, like if Decker would have overseen the refit and and all that kind of stuff. I don't think, that, I'm sure they wouldn't have gone with the, he was supposed to command it yeah. and is bumped down to first first officer. Or as Kirk was supposed to call him first. That's kind of a proto number one. He was going to call him first. Okay. All right, my first over here will do this. and <laughs> Instead of just calling him Decker or something. Which, uh, it's kind of obvious reading... Uh, about Decker and even watching motion picture and his relationship with Alea, 
he's got uh he's Riker. Yeah, very much so. Would Decker have grown a beard in season two? I guess of, we'll never know. Phase two. We'll we'll never know. They didn't have Stephen Collins signed when they were going through production. So it may not even have been him, but uh I'm sure that he would have grown a beard and and become more of a, a, a better character at that point. Probably, probably. We'll just assume. But Persis Kambata was going to play Aaliyah, who ends up playing her in motion picture. And she was going to be, for one, they've shaved her bald. And, you know, there are the pictures of her crying, you know, shaving her head and stuff. This was this is supposed to be like a main role, and she was going to be bald the whole time. Were they going to do a cap for this series? This is, yeah, this is they, concerning they were, for me. They were, in fact, uh, in the... I don't know if they're publicity stills or test stills where you see her wearing like the TOS style um, mini skirt thing, mm-hmm. although it's gold. Um, she's bald in that, but uh, as I understand it, she's wearing a bald cap. Okay. But I think since it was for the movie, it was just sort of a one-time thing. She was like, screw it. Let's do this. <laughs> but the the idea of Frylia is the same as Troy. She's not well, she's not the ship's counselor. They they hadn't gone, you know, full eighties on us yet. It was still the seventies. Yeah. But she was supposed to be uh what's the word? Empath. Empathic. And, you know, sense other people's emotions. And they were actually gonna go full time with the uh, uh very sexualized society that she's not allowed to do with humans because it would be distraction. The whole vow of Celo's celibacy thing that she has to cover with Kirk as soon as he lays eyes on her in yeah. the motion picture. Yeah. He looks at her and she's like, nope. <laughs> they were they actually got to force Kelly back. Which which would have been good. I don't know. Like we were talking last week about the the Trinity mm-hmm. and how how the JJ verse kind of flipped it. I wonder how that would have worked. Um, would Zahn have just like stepped into that role as as maybe the the id or ego or whatever? I don't think so. I think you would have lost that dynamic, you know, because you'd have to throw Decker into the mix too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Decker, I'm sure, would side with McCoy. Yeah. Knowing what little we know of Decker. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's not like. It's not like Picard has a trinity and stuff. Maybe they were going to get away from that. Yeah. That now Kirk's 10 years older. Maybe he's balanced himself out. I mean, maybe. I guess they could have done it with Decker and Zahn and then had McCoy take on a sort of different, more advisory role, you know? Mm -hmm. That would kind of make more sense because it would probably make more sense for Zahn and Decker to be involved with these decisions than the the doctor would be, you know, and maybe, maybe, uh, McCoy would just be sort of like the guy who Kirk would come to during times of need on sort of a more personal level instead of, you know, in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. Could have been interesting. It does, it does say that, that McCoy would probably in the, in the series Bible that McCoy was going to be more, protective of Zahn, like seeing him as a kid hmm. and like chastising those who would speak bad about him. Interesting. And so that may, may have played a different relationship. Maybe 
maybe after antagonizing Spock for so long, McCoy learns that, you know, maybe he should teach him and not just make fun of him. Oh, you're a computer who listens to you. You know, it could be like, you know, dude, you need to like balance yourself with some emotions and stuff. Yeah. It could have been a a really interesting dynamic. Uh, Scotty was going to be back. Uhura was going to be back. Sulu was going to be back. Chekhov was going to be back. Chapel was going to be back in a full-time position as a doctor. Oh, that's cool. So it would have been kind of like her and Bones running, running mm-hmm. sick bay just like they did in the movie. And of course, it'd be, I'm sure Gene pushed for that. Yeah. Like, no, we're going to make my wife a regular <laughs> character on the show. Yep. What's, what's interesting is that Memory Alpha, I don't know if the, the story Bible makes a big deal about it, but Yeoman is a completely separate area and has its own little description. And it it's it's basically uh we need to have hot people on the bridge <laughs> and and you know even though they're always gonna be beautiful women, you know, it's it's important they're they're treated co equally with males of the same rake. And it's like <laughs> I don't understand why they feel the need to point out the yeoman. Yeah, I mean, that could be something which was noted, you know, for the network, you know, maybe maybe the network was like, hey, hey, you know, we need to, to compete with all these other shows from the 70s, which are obviously, you know, sort of like going after that, you know, weird, hot, I mean, this de- is young like demographic. Charlie's Angels Yeah, era, like Charlie's right? Angels, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, we need to make sure that we have that. I mean, you know, have you ever seen The Player? No. No? Okay. Yeah, you know, there's like this whole thing. It's it's an, it's an amazing movie, but basically it's about a studio executive. So you see all these people coming in to pitch their movies, and you see how it's just like, I'm going to make the most important movie of all time, and there's not going to be any of no stars, no nothing. It's just jail cells and, you know, whatever, and this one guy, and they're like, but you're going to have, you know, some sex in there, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we're totally gonna, yeah, yeah. We can we can fit that in, you know. So I could see that happening. Like the the network is like you've got a bunch of space people. Oh, they're almost all dudes, <laughs> you know. They're all stars from a show which was on ten years ago. You're gonna get some young hot people in here too, right? Yeah, but they have sworn off sex. You're going to have other young, hot people, right? Yeah, my wife's going to be on it. You're going to have young, other young, hot people on it, right? Sure. Yeomans. Yeah. You know. Yeomans of the week. <laughs> Maybe they would have been like red shirts and keep dying and having to replace them. Or transferring yeah. off because of all the harassment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that that was not something that... Well, I don't know. You know, actually, Roddenberry might have been pushing for that. Because he was a big fan... Of the of ladies. The ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he was pushing for that. I, I take it back. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll quickly cover uh, the episodes that that had been vaguely described and, and maybe think if they worked or not. Um, they got an order for the two-hour pilot and 13 episodes. So here's what they had down so far. So we had In Thy Image... Written by Herod Livingston from a story by Alan Dean Foster. 
eventually became the motion pictures, so we know how that would have turned out. Yeah, the the only thing which I think might have worked in his favor is, you know, going for 90 minutes of television. I think that they probably would have had a bit of a tighter script, and I think maybe the story would have worked a little bit better because I I have a feeling, and, and, you know, I mean, people have said this before, but when they expanded it, to feature film length and also size, they ended up making it very flabby. Mm-hmm. And I bet you a lot of people would probably like that episode a lot more than they like the motion picture if they didn't feel the need to pad it out for the big I screen. imagine that the, the character beats would have been more interesting yeah. uh, because the two new characters that they introduced for motion picture, Decker and Ilya, you kind of get the feeling that they're not going to be around for very long. They mm-hmm. don't really fit in. One of them dies halfway through. Yeah. And then they both kind of disappear. I imagine the script would have been a lot better with the with them them sticking around and you having to make people like them. Yeah. As opposed to just having them there as the obvious like I've been watching a lot of Jason movies this weekend. Sorry. You know, most of the characters are there just to get murdered. Well, yes, all of the characters of are there just to get murdered. So you kind of get that feeling with Decker and Ilya. Just wait till you get to Jason 10. Yeah. Or I'm I, sorry, I saw the Jason X. X, yeah. I'm excited for that one. I told my wife about it it's uh, the yesterday. Best. It's the I was just like, uh, you know, in the 10th one, Jason goes to space. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And David Cronenberg's in it. And if you're a fan of Andromeda... They've got two of the cast members from Andromeda and uh, the, the android or whatever, the, the, the woman who played the ship, and then mm-hmm. the, uh, the other woman who didn't play the ship. And in this one, the woman who didn't play the computer is a robot, and the one who did play the computer is not. So they flipped it. Oh, flipped it right on its head. Yeah. That <laughs> movie is amazing. I'm, I'm not kidding. That movie is... I, the rest of that series is horrendously bad, but Jason mm. X. If you haven't seen Jason X, just stop listening to us right now and go watch <laughs> Jason X because it's the best. Yeah, I'm halfway there. All right. Okay. Uh, another episode that they were going to do was Tomorrow and the Stars, written by Larry Alexander. It was going to be a time travel story reminiscent of The City on the Edge of Forever, but if you read the description... It was going to be sitting on the edge of forever. Yeah, reminiscent in the sense that it was the exact same thing. But instead of it being uh, Depression-era New York and Kirk falling in love with someone and not being able to change the future, it was a girl in Pearl Harbor. Yeah, instead of... um... A married woman in Pearl Harbor. Like, it's like, oh, it's the 70s now. Look at all this stuff we can do. We can do, like, marriage and divorce and other things we couldn't talk about. And and it was still going to be about sort of like the fate of World War Two, you know, and and how to influence that. And but whereas before it was like we need her to die because she's going to start a peace movement which would keep us out of World War Two and then let Hitler take over. Here it's like, well, is it a bad thing if we save everyone at Pearl Harbor? <laughs> and yeah, probably because who knows how that's going to affect the timeline, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would yeah. have been no. Again, just like uh just like next generation, you know, they were gonna come right out the gate with basically sequels to episodes we've already seen or yeah. remakes of episodes we've already seen. 
Yeah. Which is what they did. Years. On, that's what they did on Mission Impossible too. They straight up did like a, uh, a for when, in the new series, they straight up remade some episodes of the original series, and that was in the same continuity as well. It was. Oh, I was going to say, but that's not in the same continuity. It was really. Yeah, they oh. had like the same. It was basically Mission Impossible Phase Two. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. The another episode was going to be the child which was uh, eventually turned into uh, the season two episode of Next Generation, The Child. Amazing episode. Is it? Amazingly bad. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah. Might have to cover that later. (laughs) Uh, Another episode was going to be Cassandra, or Cassandra, written by Theodore Sturgeon. It was going to be about a clumsy yeoman and a tiny troubling creature. Keenzer. Okay. <laughs> Keens are sure. As the yeoman. It sounds more like a Mowgli. Oh. Mog- Mog- Damn it. Every time. The one from Gremlins. <laughs> okay. Mogwai. A Mogwai. Maybe it would have had Gremlins. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Maybe Joe Dante would have directed, you know? Yeah. It could have happened. <laughs> Another episode is going to be Katumba, which was going to be a... Uh, two-parter about the Klingon Empire and how that would have played off in the original series, uh, focusing on the Klingons. Uh, it was going to be a little different than the way they were eventually portrayed in Next Generation. But uh, isn't that one that they ended up doing on the fan film Phase 2? Yes. Okay. It's I believe it's their most recent, their last released episode. Okay, cool. Practice in Waking, written by Richard Bach. It was going to be it was a, a machine that allowed you to like control your dreams and, and people get in trouble, which uh, sounds like a holodeck problem. Yeah. But like pre-holodeck. Yes. So. Well, post-holodeck. Yay, holodeck problems. The, the animated series, right? Pre-holodeck then. <laughs> and then there was Deadlock, which is not, it's a Voyager episode, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. Sounds right. Uh, it was going to be written by David Ambrose, and it would tell a story of a Starfleet gone mad, practicing mind control techniques, lying to them, and experimenting uh, by altering their perceptions of reality. So that kind of sounds like a, a neat kind of conspiracy. Yeah. I say conspiracy in quotation marks in the episode. Conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, I, I got the same vibe. And then it was going to be the uh, then there was going to be the Savage Syndrome which was not going to be a sequel to The Savage Curtain, which mm. disappoints me. Yeah. Well, it could have been. Uh, this story features the technology that unleashes the dark urges repressed in humans. It, it could be related to the rock people from Savage Curtain. You never know. You don't know, not when we've only got a sentence to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> Our Unheard Memory Suite Written by Worley Thorne, this script, also called Home, called for nudity and suggestive situations. I want to see that episode. When's yeah. Phase 2 going to do that? Exactly. Yeah. But uh, the the overarching plot was going to be uh, the Enterprise running out of dilithium and falling in orbit as an alien tries to capture the crew. But 
the description goes on to state, you know, well, you know, the dilithium problems they decided they weren't going to deal with in Next Generation and stuff. No, no, no. Why was there going to be nudity in suggestive situations? You can't tease us with, oh, yeah, the script called for people to be totally naked. Why? But see, but see, then for what purpose? Right, exactly. But also, like, I mean, I think that he obviously the writer had to have known while he was writing it that that wasn't going to happen. I, there's plenty of times where, but it was the '70s, man. <laughs> this would happen all the time, like back in the day, where someone would get their hands on a script for an upcoming movie, and they're like, "This movie is going to feature this person completely naked." I know because I read the script. I remember hearing that with. Uh, Crossroads, the Britney Spears movie, where there's like what? some article in Rolling Stone where they're like, she's going to be naked. We know because we read the script and listened to this scene description. And it's like, you know that movie's going to be PG-13. And it, the, the scene was something like, she she drops her towel and walks across the room. And it's like, oh yeah, because the only way to shoot that is with like full frontal nudity. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, of course there's not going to be any nudity in this Star Trek episode. It's Star Trek. And it's on TV. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Still, I want to know more about that episode. Yeah, yeah me too. So maybe we should get Warly Thorne on. Oh man, that would be awesome. Who also wrote the teleplay for Justice. Yes. Well, um, is Warley, and didn't is, do anything after that. Wait, <laughs> is, is Warley Thorn? Is that that's not John D. F. Black's alias, is it? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, another episode. The next episode they were going to do was Devil's Due, which ended up being an episode of Star Trek: The uh, Next Generation. The Next Generation. Which was a fourth season episode. I wondered why they ran out of ideas and decided to open up Devil's Due of all of these scripts. Let's yeah. go to Devil's Due. Yeah. No, what can you do? Uh, next episode is going to be Lord Bobby's Obsession. Where the Enterprise comes across a derelict Klingon cruiser with one life form aboard, one Lord Bobby from Earth's 18th century. Squire of Gothos again? Yep. Maybe? Yep. Why? What? I don't understand. Uh, Norman Spinrad was going to write To Attain the All, where the Enterprise gets caught in a, caught in a solar system-sized lo- logic game where if you win, you attain the All, a huge repository of knowledge, which uh, sounds a lot like a lot of other scripts yeah. from Star Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole game kind of idea and getting knowledge and uh, memory alpha points out that it's like the last outpost. Yeah, already Ancient. they were starting to uh, run out of some ideas for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we got to write 13 episodes. Let's uh, 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 Kirk talks a computer to death. No. <laughs> yeah. How come they don't have that here? I don't know. Let Decker talk a computer to death. It would have been awesome. You could have, like, a new type of computer and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Actually yeah. based on computers that we actually have today. Right. Or in well, the maybe 70s. maybe not I mean. today, but, yeah. But back right. in the 70s, yeah. I say reading from my iPad. You know, they could dream <laughs> this up. Like they did eventually. Yeah. Uh, last episode that there was was written was The War to End All Wars. 
written by author Bernard Lewis, and it was going to be derived from a discarded strip treatment about warring androids on the planet Shadar. Kirk rescues a female android, Yira, whose planet's successful philosophy of peace through war has been corrupted by a humanoid leader named Plateos III. It's similar to some episodes of the original series as well. Yeah. Androids, mm-hmm. peace through war. Yeah, that whole kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, if Paramount had decided that making a fourth network in 1977 wasn't the dumbest idea in the world, do you think it would have caught on? Do you think it would have worked? Um, you know, it would have been interesting to see. I don't think that... Uh, I, I think that it would have been a successful show at the time. I, I don't think that... Uh, Star Trek would be as popular as it is now because I don't really know that uh, this show would have led to feature films, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, part of the thing about the motion picture was it's like, Star Trek is back and it's on the big screen and it's amazing. Whereas like this, there'd be that like, Star Trek is back and we're getting it on a weekly basis on and, a network that never existed before. Right. And now there's another episode. And now there's another episode. And now there's another episode. And these episodes, you know, I mean, they sound like they're about on par with season one of Next Generation. And it's like, eh. Ah, nah. And then they're like, should we do Star Trek on the big screen? And it's like, nah. <laughs> nah. And I'm guessing that it probably would have been kind of similar to what ended up happening with Mission Impossible 2, where it just sort of... I mean, it could have lasted five years. Also, or, or Mission Impossible Two. Also, also, okay. yes. I wish it was like what happened with Mission Impossible Two, <laughs> where it was just like straight up awesome. But um, no, like Mission Impossible, also Mission Impossible Phase the Two, the new Mission Impossible. Yeah, where also it probably would have been successful for you know five years or whatever it was, and then it would have gone off the air. And there probably would have been nothing more about Star Trek for, you know, maybe 10 years. And then maybe in the early 90s, maybe for the 25th anniversary, they would have been like a movie. With Tom Cruise. With Tom Cruise. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's actually probably not too far from what would have happened. Tom Cruise is Captain Kirk. Probably would have been very similar to Harv Bennett's pitch for the Starfleet Academy thingy. Yeah. You know, it would have probably been a reboot. Not like a JJ reboot or anything like that, but just like we don't care about any of that stuff. And here's here it is on the big screen as a movie, just like most TV adaptations. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd probably still get a Star Trek movie once every three or four years. That's my guess as to what would have happened. Maybe <laughs> maybe they would have tried to relaunch it again as a TV show. Like in the '90s or something, I don't know, but that's my guess. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. It, it's always interesting to think about the the alternate timeline things, but I mean, everything that we have now is such a perfect balance. Uh, I wouldn't want to really mess with anything, but it, it could have worked. Uh, um, I don't know much about other TV in the '70s uh, that it would have been up against, especially as a fourth network. It would have been up against whatever, ABC, CBS, and NBC had to throw at it. So I don't know how many people would have would have watched it. It would have had a better time slot than most of the original series, I imagine, since it was going to be their bread and butter. I could also see it being a similar situation to Voyager, where it's like Voyager launches on a fifth network at that point, 
and it's the flagship you know show on the network and even though the ratings aren't nearly as good as what's going what it's going up against it's way better than anything else that they have on the UPN and because mm-hmm. of that it has longevity you know right because UPN has to keep it alive to keep themselves alive right it's it's like it's like you know the whatever it wouldn't have been called UPN at that point, but the Paramount Network, whatever it was, whatever other options it had would not have been as good as Star Trek, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. Unless it did like an Indiana Jones series, which, hold on, I say, un, you know, completely forgetting that they, we did have an Indiana Jones series. Yeah. Yeah. Although this more, was four years More before. ignored than the animated series of Star Trek, you think? I don't know. I mean, I don't ignore it. I, well, I forget that it exists more often than I forget that the animated series exists. The problem with the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles is that they felt the need to cut them all into two-hour movies. And what you end up with is, first off, you lose freaking old Indiana Jones, which is very unfortunate. He's just mm-hmm. been wiped out of, of continuity. But then also, you get these two episodes which usually don't have anything to do with each other, which are mashed together in in a way that makes no sense and usually one of them is good and one of them is bad and it's like i don't want to watch a bad episode and a good episode i just want to watch a good episode there's some good stuff in that show the last two things chronologically because of course george lucas had to put them all in chronological order the last (laughs) two things chronologically um are a scandal of 1920 and uh the hollywood follies and those two are straight up great. I would put those right up with the best of the Indiana Jones on the big screen. And I think you can get these things on Netflix now. Really? So if you don't have the, the DVDs, check them out because... Th- the Netflix discs, you mean? No, no. Uh, for a while, they were streaming at least. Oh, wow. So yeah, check it out. It's good stuff. And also, if you're a Star Wars fan and a fan of sort of like Star Wars history, like they really are sort of like test footage for what they were doing on the prequels. All the same crew members, all everything, a lot of the same cast members, just trying to figure stuff out, trying to figure out how to do these complex effects that they would end up doing in episode one. That's... All of this has nothing to do with phase two, but who cares? Oh, because it's interesting, right? <laughs> and that's all that really matters, right? It's it, is on, it is on uh, Netflix. Holy moly. So, yeah, check it out. I will. Well, it was fun talking about Phase 2 when we were when we were talking about Phase 2. But that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? And he's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge. Like like I didn't have my spine grown, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey. You know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written in the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you a know. chair. He gets a chair. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a warp-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote-unquote, hands clean. The, the fact that he has 
this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and... Yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Wow. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. There was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so mm-hmm. you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than let's say one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity there is also room for hope literary treks I I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her you know I was reading Janeway's logs and can you believe that Q got married and has a son continuing mission you're watching the man trap and then for no reason at all, they go into the botany. Well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right. The botanical. <laughs> it's a, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. And, you know, thankfully it resonated with Alec and, and Christian and you know, here, here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Swiper, Sweeper, Sliper, and Spreaker. Spreaker? Yeah, yeah. that one. Or you can stream from the website or download the MP3. You can go to trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. Let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show and on their thoughts on if Phase 2 would have worked. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can listen to us and our other listeners at our new Facebook group, The Babel Conference, Trek FM's listener group. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter under username trekfm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Uh, Well, you can find me uh, right here on on. Trek FM doing commentary Trek stars with uh, Max and John now we've just added to the cast. Hooray! That's that's exciting. And you can also find me on my website commentarytrackstars.com where I do commentary track stars off topic where I can deviate from phase two to Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and not feel like I'm doing something wrong (laughs) (laughs) Um, all the time. So if you want to check that out over there, uh, 
you're more than welcome to. And also, hey, I, yeah, I, I have been sort of trying to go on to Facebook and look and, and interact with people. And I, I did find a thing where we were talking about an episode from a couple of weeks ago, our, our Wrath of Khan commentary, where um, someone was like, people don't like Skyfall? No, 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 that's not what I was saying at all. I was being critical of something in Skyfall, but let me just state for the record that Skyfall <laughs> is the best Bond movie of all time, and I'm pretty sure that everyone agrees with me that it is awesome. So I, I, I do know a couple people who don't like it. Well, uh, yeah, I do too, but, you know, they're weird. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and you can find me on various other places around Trek FM. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? Well, I've got another original series adventure. Um, I don't know. I was trying to find something from that era, but I think I failed. But whatever. It's called Sarek. Mm -hmm. uh, it's written by A.C. Crispin. Narrated by Nick Sullivan. I thought it was written by Mark Cushman. I'm so confused. No, no that's the, the episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and it is unabridged, which is kind of rare with for these Star Trek books. Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson, is dying, and Spock returns to the planet Vulcan, where he and Sarek enjoy a rare moment of reproachment. But just as his wife's illness grows worse, duty calls Sarek away once again sowing the seeds of conflict between father and son. Yet soon, Sarek and Spock must put aside their differences and work together to foil a far-reaching plot to destroy the Federation, a plot that Sarek has seen in the making for nearly his entire career. And you can dun, get, dun, dun. Yes, and you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer in our shows. You'll find out where the donations can go. They go to places like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. Yeah, maybe we, we should do an episode, a bonus episode for our Patreoners um, where we talk about young Indiana Jones Chronicles and, and James Bond. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.